Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. And then another year goes by and somebody else is elected, stands up Christmas morning, goes, I'm tired of this constant... <laughs> 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 That's the Let best, it go. That's the best <laughs> laugh I've ever had. On that, on that gag. I've been carrying that gag around with me for about 30 years. Uh, you're listening to The Word's podcast. I'm David Hepworth, joined in the pod this week by... Mark Ellen. And... Rob Fitzpatrick. And... Matt Hall. Matt Hall with the headphones on. Uh, I've got, got a very nice um, uh, bit of feedback from Johnny Brick on the Facebook group, Matt. And the numbers are increasing all the time on the that Facebook group. 450 now? Something like that, yeah. something like that. And Johnny Brick from the University of Edinburgh says, listen to name. the podcast. It's a great name. It is a brilliant name. Johnny Brick. Listen to is the that Brick, Brick B-R-I-Q-U-E? <laughs> no, it's just CK. That's the French yeah. Brick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. says, listen to the podcast. It's like being an insect on the veranda. Attentively attuned to a conversation being oh. held on a hot summer's day by three blokes of vast experience in the music press, etc. These men chortle and chuckle and infectiously entertain themselves with anecdotes and antidotes to passing the time listening to plod rock or pointless <laughs> pap pop. The insect learns of the hoary old folklores of, of rock music and disseminates the humour after buzzing away from the veranda as blokes put on prog rock or collapse in a fit of hysterics. <laughs> the podcast, Insect or Insectivore, a right good laugh. Oh. It's so, just veranda, isn't it? It's yeah. not veranda of rock. Because normally rock's it's, it's glorious veranda. Rock's so glorious, <laughs> glorious veranda. Yes. I find it very hard to stop myself doing that. I was writing an intro to a piece today. And Paul Denoyer steps out on the sticky, beer-soaked <laughs> carpet <laughs> of rock. There's a must-stop yeah. doing this. Yes. Could that be... Well, it was going to be of rock, though. Could it's it just... be not like the, uh, the podcast's very own cell, which is the word podcast, welcome to the creaky top step of <laughs> rock's own veranda. Oh, veranda, <laughs> that's that. right. I like the idea of the veranda. I think we've got to have the sound of a fan. It's very good. Around, yeah. didn't we? We, could, yeah. we could Distant... Just... Crickets yeah. and things like that. And we could whittle. We could whittle. We could. We could have a punker waller. Yeah. Punker waller. <laughs> yeah. And the distance. Yeah. It ain't half hot mum. We could get that bloke out of it ain't half hot mum. I think he's dead. 
no. Michael It's the yeah. idea also wasn't that Toby the... Indian, was he? It was not Indian at all. <laughs> 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 Indian. I, I still Bisto like it. Though. is a wonderful <laughs> thing. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the idea that we're maddened by the heat that I quite oh, like. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They get this more and more hallucinogenic. Gin sodden. Time for tiffin. Where are we anyway? What's the old gag about the distant drums? This is a joke I was told by Mark King out of Level 42. Oh, many, that's many the one about... It's, about it's not the guy down in Africa, is it? Uh, what's the going on, Mark, behind the, the, the radiator? The radiator is bubbling. bubbling. God, it's hot in here, actually. It's incredible. We actually do yeah. need a punker waller. We do, yeah. we actually do need one. And basically, they, they, basically they, the, the line of the gag is, you know, the drums are going on for mm. Terrell and I can't bear it any longer and the natives go, it's all right, it's when the drums stop is when you've got to worry. And the punchline is, why have I got to worry when the drums stop? He says, when the drums stop, stop bass solo. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, that's Excellent. the kind of thing that could have been in the pages of my reading for this week. Hello. Ronnie. Ronnie Wood. By Ron Wood. Uh, which I finally... Pretty unvarnished title, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> It does exactly what it says on the tin. It pretty much does what it says on the tin. I'm a bit disappointed there's a photo of Ronnie Wood on there and not one of his paintings. Well, there's plenty of his sketches and Ah, so forth inside. He's even pictures of all his his houses that he's had over the years. And and, uh, I've actually done a thing about this on the the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, where you can win a copy of this. We've got a bunch of copies of this to give away. And I was suggesting that it'd make a fantastic edition of Relocation, Relocation. Mm, Because... Every cautionary tale, you know, in the, in the house-buying market, things that could mm. go wrong, could be, you know, related from Ronnie's own lips. It's yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, one of them, don't buy drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. well, yeah, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty much... That's fairly difficult, though, if you spend 25-odd years permanently soaked. It? I, mean, I interviewed Ron, Ronnie once at, a, at about uh, 11 in the morning, I think it was, and asked to could have a cup of coffee, and he himself was cracking a... A chilled tube of Stella. <laughs> and Stella well, is, a, is a potent yeah, brew, isn't it? Yeah. Wife beater. Wife <laughs> beater. <isn't laughs> <it>? Not <laughs> of course. That I'm oh, I was quite impressed with it. But this book, have you read it? You've uh, read bits I've, of it? I've, I've had bits of it recounted. Oh, it, it's, it's, it's a classic lavatory read, mm. actually. It should be, you know, in, in every well He would take it as a huge compliment. He would take yeah. it as a huge compliment, yeah. and fair enough. But my theory is you can read this book in two ways. You can either read it as outrageous farce, Mm. Or as terrible tragedy, <laughs> because there's just been so many chronic decisions <laughs> made at many stages through Ron's life, and generally speaking, at the end of them, he kind of gets up and goes, "Well, let's have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go and play a twelve bar blues, yeah, yeah. and it'll all be absolutely fine." He actually, I mean, just minor embarrassments. He relates a tale in here of uh, much of it concerns his, his long-suffering, sainted wife Joan, mm. to whom he's been married for. a a long, long time, and uh, and her mother, I believe, is visiting them in in Hollywood when he's briefly living there. And Keith's round there, and Keith is rolling joints by the pool. And Mrs. Joe, the elder, thinks, "What's going on here? Mm. This is not right." Smoking drugs. Mrs. Mrs. Joe, the elder. The elder. She was secretary of state at the time. She actually grabs the joint off Keith and throws it in the swimming pool. Oh dear. Which, yeah, it takes courage, <laughs> yeah. you'd be forced to say. Keith... Just so that's a fruitless battle. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to step I, in here. Funny, guess funny side seen by Keith? Yeah. Funny side? Not at all. Not Keith, at all. Keith just really miffed. And you'd be forced to say that if you found yourself in a situation where your wife's mother mm. 
was at daggers drawn with your big working mate in a social situation where the working mate was saying to Adam, and these are the exact words, what are you doing, you stupid bitch? <laughs> You'd kind not of funny, feel... Not funny, not listeners, to talk yeah. to your mother-in-law like that. No. Don't try this at home. Oh, yeah, anybody's, no. anybody's mother. No. Not fun, literally not you funny. You'd kind of feel that socially it wasn't going perfectly. No, you, you would, yeah. You'd be forced to go up to your mate and say, Keith, please, yeah. oh, this is my mother-in-law. Yeah. But you'd think also that Keith would have had the... Take the precaution to have a slightly bigger stash than just one old, one solitary bifter. Day. Well, <laughs> what yeah. he did, one now. burning chalice that has been mm. tossed into the swimming yeah. pool. This, this whole book <laughs> should be like a kind of question of sport version of that round. You know, what a question happens of snort. Next. Yeah. Question of snort. It could be Ronnie Woods. We so what do does Keith do next after he's called Mrs. Joe the Elder? Does he move on to a different bitch. type of drug, or does he pull out a gun? He <laughs> or does he get her to follow Jordan into the swimming pool? Yeah. Oh. He rolls two, and then he says, "You have that one and do what you like." With yeah. it. Well, you know, should he, I suppose you feel he's probably broken the ice with the, uh, you know, with the other side of the family, wouldn't you? If you I wonder if he rolled that. two like that. Well, yeah. one on each hand, as you're doing now. No, no, really. So imagine it. Just, I mean, I've just got a few little bits here that I have to share with you because um, you know I think you'll enjoy it. Chuch McGee, <laughs> who was his ta- his his personal guitar roadie, yeah. from about 1970 until he sadly died in 2004, I think. Um, like many Rolling Stones road crew do, because mm. they can't live the life after a certain point, had one major drawback as a guitar roadie. It was go on. No, yeah. Was he deaf? He was tone <laughs> deaf. <laughs> he was hey? tone deaf. He Which says, one? In the, <laughs> the what? The, the guitar? What? <laughs> okay. In the beginning, I want, I want to know if you believe this, Mark. Mm. In the beginning, he tuned the guitars visually. He could see the tension on the strings. And I, I'd have to tell him when he was an octave out... That just is no, that's possible. <laughs> but also, it does explain, surely, some of the, some of the sounds that we've heard on Rolling Stones' live yeah. albums, yeah. I think. Yeah. Their guitars are tuned by a deaf bear. Well, yeah. <laughs> we're in those days. A little bit about Charlie that I thought you might enjoy. Uh, that uh, Charlie, like the rest of the Rolling Stones, likes to buy cars. Right. But there's one major difference with Charlie. He doesn't drive. Because mm-hmm. he's got a nervous thing about driving. He never got a licence because he suffers from some sort of bizarre fear of engines, it says here. Have a fear of engines. <laughs> the next solo album. Can't watch Thomas the Tank. <laughs> Three more from them later. Mm. <laughs> it says that has... <laughs> Marty's fear of engines. That hasn't stopped him from buying cars. He once bought a 1936 Alfa Romeo simply because he loved looking at the dashboard. <laughs> Charlie also owns a really beautiful Burgundy Lagonda. And when he first bought it, he also bought himself a burgundy suit to match so that he could wear it when he sat behind the wheel in his drive, engine ticking over, going nowhere. It's brilliant. <laughs> Had he been going somewhere, of course, he'd been arrested. It was an empty car driving yeah. itself, yeah. presumably. Yeah. They, um, there's mention of, just a kind of aside to this, but I thought you'd appreciate it, a chap called Gally Ken- Gary Kelgren, who launched Record Plant Studios in Los Angeles, oh, yeah. very well-known mm. studios. The line goes, the bit goes, tragically, when Gary went back to L.A. in 1977, and I, now I'm gonna, you're going to have to hold a certain number of characters in your head okay, yeah. or, All right. and picture the scene. Yeah. His air hostess wife, Marta... <laughs> I love her already. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be an air hostess involved. Yeah. His air hostess <laughs> wife, Marta, 
found him drowned in his swimming pool well, with one of his girlfriends. Oh, yeah. One of his girlfriends. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He had been trying... What had he been trying to do? Uh, rescue the joint that Mrs. Wood <laughs> had <laughs> thrown into the water. I don't know. He had, he had been trying to fix his underwater speakers. <laughs> No, I just. He hasn't been using a power drill, did he? (laughs) (laughs) Take the toaster down there with (laughs) (laughs) him. Underwater speakers, yeah. Not much point, really. It's, you know, know, the the expression more money than sense really does. I went to, I was in a pool with underwater speakers the other day. Were you really? Yeah, seriously. Oh, you told me this Yeah, story. I was in Nassau on, on a scuba diving trip. Is that AKA Funky Nassau? Uh, AKA Funky, well, less yeah. than funky if you go yeah. underwater, mate. That's true. What you hear is the fine young cannibals. <laughs> oh, right, yes, yeah. you were talking yeah. about that the other week. Yeah. He talks in here. You don't like the music, stay out of the water. Mm. He talks in here about <laughs> when, um, when Tony Curtis, in, and it's sort of inevitable, isn't it, that, you know, Tony Curtis and Ron Wood's paths are just bound to cross. Mm. Yeah. You'd hope you know, so. Yeah. You'd like to be there for that. Absolute incorrigible <laughs> yeah. ne'er wells from yeah. completely different generations. Fantastic. You know, both with very distinctive hairdos. Yeah. Yeah. One natural. One of them real. Yeah. <laughs> the other a polypropylene thatch. <laughs> apparently, apparently, Tony had a house in London in Chester Square. You know, pretty common yeah. address, Chester yeah, yeah. Square. And, and Tony, what a trusting soul he must have been. Because he was going away. And he asked Ron and Joe to house sit for him. I'm sensing impending danger. <laughs> had he imagine, insured the place? Can you imagine that? Ron, oh, Ron. Yeah, had he met Ron out. before? <laughs> yeah, he actually met him. To my place. Yeah. He says, we moved in and he showed us around the house and the tour included the trap, bo- dro- excuse me, trap door in the floor that led to his wine cellar. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> it's going badly wrong. Yeah. He very graciously said, you have the freedom of my wine cellar, oh, which dear. was his first mistake. Mm. His second mistake was leaving me there with 40 or 50 cases, <laughs> cases mm. of the finest vintage wine. We had parties at his house every night. And in Rod's case, when he says parties every night, he's not exaggerating. No, no. Most no, people, no, 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 people not. say it's yeah. a They say every night, you know, no, like yeah. once a month they had no, a couple of people around. No, in Rod's case, yeah. it's yeah. absolutely every night. Yeah. And he says, and why not? The wine was excellent. We drank all of his bottles except for one bottle of Chateau Petrousse. And when Tony came back a couple of weeks later, he was so angry at me because he'd been collecting that wine for years. And because Ron, like all these incidents in his book, he sort of goes, Shrugs. He saw the funny side. He saw the funny side. Turned that frown upside down. <laughs> I took him down to pub. Yeah. We played a few of a large Hennessy. Yeah. Whereas most people. Game of arrows and a pork pie. <laughs> Cheered him up straight away. Water gypsies, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Give a bob in it, Tony. Come on. Most people would just be in the fetal position under the duvet yeah. for the rest of their lives, yeah. wouldn't they? Well, most people yeah, wouldn't have done it in the first place, is the honest truth. That's true. It's, Sorry to help yourself to my cellar. They don't mean yeah. literally pick it up and drink the entire <laughs> thing, do they? I'm going to give you one drug anecdote in here. Yeah, okay. Because I learnt a lot technically about drugs that, you know, from this. That uh, he, went through, he went through a long period of freebasing. I never knew this. Did he? Nasty. Oh yes, that can't be a good idea. Which he describes in, in you know in kind of characteristically witty fashion as expensive basin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, stop it! Hang on a minute, yeah. I don't get it. It's a lot but safer it, just to mend your underwater lights. I think it is. Yeah. Free basin. Yeah. <laughs> Free basin also makes you paranoid. He says. No. <laughs> <laughs> I find that. Who said that? No, it doesn't. I'm hearing voices. You wind up on your hands and knees looking for little crumbs that might have fallen out of the pipe. Oh, 
one. Here's my favourite line in the book coming up next. <laughs> I banned my children from eating meringues in the house <laughs> after I ended up smoking sugar for the umpteen. <laughs> yeah, God forbid, you know. That's, Can you imagine uh, that? Good parenting. Can you imagine that conversation with the children? Okay, I, I'd like you to all, all to come to the kitchen now. Yeah, house meeting. <laughs> you, Daddy's got something important to tell <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> No, no more meringues. <laughs> no more meringues. Why, mummy? <laughs> but presumably you have to explain <laughs> why there's no more meringues. You can't just say there's no more meringues. Yeah, but be but that, that also it, it, it completely illustrates the beautiful madness of drug addiction because he's worried about smoking sugar, but he's not worried about freebasing. <laughs> like, oh, bloody sugar! Oh, no. but, Genuinely, bro. <laughs> no, fine. You know, sugar. <laughs> terrible. Has it gone? Has that book? It probably has got. Well, my favourite story about uh, Ronnie Woods is when uh, he appeared as a guest on Mark Lamar's Saturday morning show on GLR, and um, at the end of the um, of the show, they discovered that they lived in the same southwest region of mm. London, and uh, and Ronnie said to Mark. You must come round one day. It'd be lovely. It'd be like, come round for lunch. And yeah. I was just like, yeah, right, yeah. And Ronnie was like, no, give me your number. Give me your number. Uh, well, I'll call you. You come round for lunch. And I was like, all right. You know, really wasn't expecting it. The next day, the Mars at home on Saturday, on Sunday morning, and the phone goes, and it's Ronnie going, hello, Mark. Fancy coming round to see me and Joe for Sunday lunch? And Mark was like, yeah, sure. When? When? Fancy it? Now? now? Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> they don't plan it. And the yeah. was We're like, going to play to have your soup. No, no, no. <laughs> it gets better because the mark was like, yeah, okay, I'm not doing anything. And Ronnie goes, great, on your way over. You couldn't just stop at the garage, get some king size blue Rizzlers. There's <laughs> one down the end of the road. Seriously, <laughs> that was the reason. Get me some skins. Absolutely. We've got to run out of skins, Joe. What are we going to do? I know. I met this bloke at a radio station yesterday. Yeah. yeah, I can't be bothered to go. You come. There must be somebody around here we know. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind. What's that story you told me the other day you about told me that Ronnie? One, really good about well, Mick Jagger. What's that story about? Was it that's the one in. That's the one in the book. Guitar. The guitar. Mm. Oh, God, I can't remember even sufficiently. It's, it's, the one, it's the one where they're on tour and uh, Ronnie's sat in his hotel room strumming a lovely, very expensive yeah. uh, black acoustic guitar um, in Walt Keith and says, where'd you get that guitar? And Ronnie says, Mick gave it to me. <laughs> Keith says, stop there, runs out of the room, runs back in with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Says, put the effing thing down. <laughs> Ronnie obviously drops it quite quickly. Yeah. Keith shoots the, the hell out of Bezaker. Bezaker's out of this guitar. Shoots the guitar. Into Matchwood. Mm. And Ronnie says, you didn't let me finish. I got it off Mick. He said that you lent it to him. <laughs> <laughs> See, going back, going, back to the, um, going back to the Mark Lamar story, I, I, you do get the feeling from reading the book that Ronnie... And Joe never spend any time on their own. There's no. never, there's never a quiet night in at the woods, you know. And I think a lot of some of it is genuinely his background. Mm. You know, he comes from this gypsy yeah, family yeah. where they're just a house full of absolutely yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And part of it's just rock and roll. Part of it's having a pub at the bottom of your garden, isn't it? Oh, okay, yes, I'm sure. But you know, it's also huge drug use and, and yeah. drink over the years. But you know, just sort of can't deal without having huge numbers of people. Mm. And I think there are two incidents in this book where Joe is giving birth pretty much in the middle of a party. <laughs> now, you had a child the other week We've all been in your family. <laughs> Matt. Did you organise any parties? In no. The 
Do you think? Do you think your other half would have seen the funny side? No. If you'd said to her, she said, "I think, it, I think in one of these cases, around. the poor one was Waters. That's brilliant. Yeah. And gone into labour. Could you bring some blue Rizzlers? <laughs> Six packs to Stella. <laughs> one of these cases, a Waters break or something like that. She starts going into contractions or whatever, and he just she goes upstairs to the bedroom while he carries on partying with Mick and Linda Ronstadt and whatever. And when they eventually have to get, <laughs> get in the car, you have to go to the hospital. <laughs> Linda Ronstadt, I think it's Linda Ronstadt, somebody says, can you drop us off on the way home? <laughs> <laughs> it's not too far off Laurel Canyon. Or you can't imagine and Linda Ronstadt would be the first one up the stairs with some towels trying to help. There's another bit where he says, uh, she was having contractions. And I wanted to sketch her while she was having them. <laughs> That's she go got a bit cross. <laughs> I think yeah. she might well. Yeah. So actually, what I've done on the website, if you want to win a copy of this book, I've taken five lines out of the book. Five lines like those that are just kind of gobsmackingly strange mm. if you take them in isolation. Like one was where he says, After a while, I started returning John McEnroe's serves, which annoyed him even more. (laughs) It was a fictional book. (laughs) I didn't realise. It's a novel. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was fact. So what you've got to do is make up a line as Mm. if you were, you know, the idea is this is the book you can't make up. Actually, have a go. So you can make up a line from it and uh, and, and you might win a copy of the book. And that's on on the website wordmagazine.co.uk. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. One of the things that's touched upon in this book, which I thought might be an opportunity to do something I've been wanting to do for ages, which is what I think they call in the world of history, counterfactual. Oh, yeah, counterfactual. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. you've read these history books where they say, imagine Hitler hadn't invaded mm. the Soviet Union, mm. what would have happened? Mm. You know, or if Napoleon had won at Waterloo, what would have happened? Mm. And so on a no less exalted and important level... I've taken something out of this book, which is that I didn't quite realise this, that Ron Wood was in the Jeff Beck group in 1969. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they were kind of fairly successful, but not quite breakthrough successful. And they were booked to play a small festival in upstate New York, which subsequently went under the name of Woodstock. I've heard of that one. <laughs> but they broke up two weeks beforehand. Right. Because they thought, oh, I can't be bothered with yeah. this. Let's go home. No know. future in it. <laughs> did they know what the scale of the event was? Well, right? To be fair, I don't think anybody did. No, I don't think they did. Either. Two weeks before, I heard it was several people who played it. I heard it was uh, like half a million strong or something. It was <laughs> half a million strong. By the time they <laughs> got there, the yeah, bombers turned into butterflies. <laughs> but beforehand, it was you know, <laughs> that just trolls. didn't happen. <laughs> it was only twenty-five thousand people. Yeah. Um, but so, for the benefit of younger listeners who don't have this tattooed onto their brain, mm. the, the, the lineup of the Jeff Beck group was. Interestingly, Jeff Beck, uh, Mickey Waller on the drums, Ron Wood on the bass, Nicky Hopkins on the piano, and I forgot Nicky Hopkins. One, yeah. one, well, he, I don't think he was in the group, but he played yeah, with them awful. Yeah. Yeah. And one Rod Rodney Stewart, Rodney Stewart on the parents. vocals. Yeah. yeah, and the first and the Jeff Beck group albums, certainly the first one, Truth, is brilliant. It's a brilliant mm. record. Great record that never got to be a huge hit. So, and also their manager for quite a while was. Peter uh, Grimes, yeah. who apparently used to keep bringing Jimmy Page to see them. Saying, <laughs> <laughs> so, see this, yeah. see this, charismatic lead singer, yeah. strong voice, yeah. okay, bit of a bluesy background, mm. all sort of 
tearing off into, into yeah. hard rock and so forth. Do you, do you Take think this ball a... and run with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take this business you... model and make it ten pounds. So me. what I'm putting to you, gentlemen, is mm. what would have happened if the Jeff Beck group had played Woodstock and mm. had been in the film? Mm. Because everybody who was in the film, even you know one trick ponies like ten years after, were huge for years. Wasn't oh, it? Yeah. unbelievable! Yeah. The only people who weren't huge after Woodstock were the people who were too stupid to sign up to the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like the band. Yeah. The band wouldn't allow themselves to be in the to film. In the film. Creed and Sleepwalk Revival wouldn't allow themselves yeah. to be in the film. Oh. And regret- <laughs> incredible, Absolutely. Incredible String Band were in the second film. You know there was a director's oh, cut? Yes. You ever seen, seen that? it myself? I, I had to review it. It's about four and a half hours long. And you then get the Incredible String Band. And then you realise why they weren't in the first <laughs> film. Yeah. So they, 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 were, they were trying to sue desperately. I think just trying to stop themselves even being in the second yeah. one. Yeah. So anyway. Keep their career afloat. The Jeff Beck group play Woodstock. The Jeff Beck group become huge. Mm. Reasonable. Reasonable prospect, yes. Mm-hmm. What flows from that? What happens and what doesn't? My feeling is that Ronnie Wood's biography would be a great deal shorter. <laughs> Come on! Because I think he probably might have his. I think he probably might have gone, you know, the way of all flesh rather earlier on. If he'd become an enormously successful star. After Woodstock, I think the temptations were oh. too much. Uh, what you're trying to say is that Sir Ronald would no longer be with us. I'm talking toes turned up. Toes turned yeah. up. It would have been carried out for Lunch mm. pail handed in. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash would not have had a successful second career. Oh, Ooh. come on. Hello. Because if Led Zeppelin exists, if Jeff Beckett. We, we must assume Led Zeppelin don't Led exist. Led Zeppelin don't yeah. exist. Ergo, they don't make all those records that Rick Rubin samples and makes a fortune and his career out of for the Beastie Boys and Mm. love the MC. Therefore, Rick Rubin is not a mega mega producer to inspire Johnny Cash. So you're saying hip-hop doesn't happen? Well, it happens very differently. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. That's good. It's already happening, but certainly the Beastie Boys wouldn't be as... uh, No, no. But you see, but does that not suggest that actually hip-hop would have happened well, it did happen. Just with, yeah, but I mean, with, with uh, without Led Zeppelin, you take Led Zeppelin out and then you put in whatever came from the Jeff Beck group. So maybe they have been sampling Maggie May. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, but it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't, wouldn't have been, been a same. sampler. It's sampleable. Right. Yeah. Well, the, then that would, you would then, because hip hop would have needed things to be sampleable anyway, so it would have found different yeah. elements. But not not the but different not the, elements found by Rick not Rubin. The, no, not those. No, it might it would have, it probably would have been a completely different person doing it, and it probably wouldn't might have had been, anything like the mass appeal. It might have been the Incredible Street Band. Might have been incredible. Oh, could have I, been a I'm payday saying, in there. I'm suggesting if Led Zeppelin, if Jeff Beck group keep going and become really big, Led Zeppelin don't happen. Mm. I'm saying no prog rock. Oh yeah, right. Because you know Jeff Beck group were underneath. They were kind of blues band, weren't they? They were fairly mm. straightforward. Whereas Led Zeppelin were something different, weren't they? They were playing in odd time signatures. And, uh, Wouldn't Cream have been responsible for Prog uh, Rock? Well, I would have maybe, thought maybe. the improvisational solo was the big springboard. Okay, but mm. none of the kind of... Ah, I think you're fine. You have a slightly annoying voice. Uh, excuse me, little hand But none of the kind of lyrical, um, you know, pixies and elves. No, and, no, the Tolkienery. Uh, uh, That's yeah, true. The, the ladies who've been told all the... Glitters this gold. There'd be none of that, no. there, without Led no. Zeppelin. Probably no, no Spinal Tap. Oh, oh, that's good. That's very good. And yes, also, because Jeff, Beck, then where would we Jeff Beck Group, not as 
kind of preposterous a thing as Led no. Zeppelin were. Now, well, Led Zeppelin, wonderful group, we all know that. But looked at in a certain light, you know, if we all tilted our head like mm. that and looked at them again, preposterous. Yeah, I'd go for preposterous first. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, you could. The other thing that might have been lost completely is that that sort of swathe of mid, sort of early to mid seventies American rock, and the now the sort of nostalgic glow of it all now in the sort of uh, almost famous days oh, of confused, right. stuff like yes, that, yes, yes. which very much references no primal scream, no primal scream. You know, Led Zeppelin's particular influence on a generation and a generation after that, and what. And actually, maybe the whole of maybe the whole of rock music history would have been changed if Jeff Beck's group had uh, <laughs> it could have just had easily gone the way. It could have become a much more sort of uh, tightly focused, almost like a sort of jazz thing, rather than an enormous generation-defining. Um, you know, look at that crazy guy with a leonine mate. Right, yeah. Because Jeff Beck would <coughs> probably have gone in the jazz direction in the end. You yeah. Know, and, uh, and he was uh, jazz tinged. He was. Yeah. <laughs> well, he kind of did that when he felt there was nowhere else to go. Yeah. After the yeah. Jeff Beck group yeah, yeah. had blo- broken up, but you know, he might have. He might have. Would they have made it? Here's a question: Would they ever have made it on the same scale? Being called the Jeff Beck group? No, no. Well, no the Jeff Beck. The Jeff Beck group suggests you've gone jazz anyway, doesn't it? It sort of does. So Miles Davis Quintet, the Jeff Beck Group, and the Dave Brubeck Five. But are there But any group with that kind of name, you feel the ceiling's quite low. It's a bit smoky. Yeah, yeah. There's um, another red wine, please. Table twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all yes. quite contained, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Would Rod Stewart have had a solo career? Um, well, depending on how he would have got on with Jeff Beck, I would suggest. In which goes uh, yes, <laughs> quite quickly. <laughs> well, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because, you know, Rod Stewart, certainly, whether you like him or not, got a real skill for writing pop songs. Mm. Certainly had in the early 70s. Mm. You know, You Wear It Well and Maggie May and all that kind mm. of carry on. And it would have had to come out somewhere, wouldn't mm. it? And you can't imagine that, uh, you can't imagine the Jeff Beck group's repertoire being hijacked by... Uh, by Maggie May. So we'd have still have had the unfortunate kind of Atlantic crossing sailing, the mighty sailing. Disco oh, things. Well, I don't know. You, you <laughs> don't know how like, trouser <laughs> things. We wouldn't have had the great American songbook volumes one to three and the current abomination. Clive, right, do we go back in time? <laughs> Clive James once described uh, Rod Stewart going across the, uh, the stage as, as looking like uh, his legs looked like a, a bifurcated marrow. Probably <laughs> 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 used to wear those great big striped yeah, trousers with yeah. enormous flares. I thought that was very funny. At what point in his history did you stop liking Rod Stewart? I still kind of rather like him, really. Yeah. I've interviewed him two or three times, and he's unbelievably funny. Just every single thing he says is funny. So you, every you're, syllable. You're, you're divorcing the man from his music. I am. You? I would really like to listen to him, one of his tunes in the office. We were. It was a lovely old thing from the early stuff. completely forgotten there. I'll have to sing it for you. No, I'll do that. It was not obviously it all went a bit horrible in the 70s. But I love these, I love these what-ifs. Don't you think they're fascinating? Yeah, that, here's a what if for you. Go right? on, I think. No, I don't know, but it's, it's Bob Dylan. I was watching a Bob Dylan um, <laughs> documentary uh, on the on the on the British television the other night about uh, Newport. Yeah. <laughs> British, great, British television. Great, great, people, great series of programmes that was. They're very very good. Oh, the Murray. And, I don't know if anyone Murray was watching it too, but the Murray Lerner documentary was absolutely fantastic, and they had Peter Paul and Mary on there, who <clears> were <throat> managed, of course, by uh, Albert Grossman, who managed Dylan. Who made a living really out of playing his songs, and, and it's just interesting that if Dylan hadn't met Grossman, you could also actually put the same argument to, to, to Joan Byers, because mm. he was clearly an energetic, ambitious, 
uh, quite a difficult, complicated, and certainly very original bloke hanging around Girdfolk City trying to get a gig. Mm. But the fact that he met Byers, who was a huge star, who gave him a leg up and brought him on stage with her big contest, and the fact that he met Albert up. Grossman, who brought him the leg up, is key bad You behave yourself. <laughs> Calm down, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing to see. Tell Keep the wrong jokes at the back, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, And Grossman believed that everyone should, the way he was going to make money out of Dylan, because this whole thing was going mm. to end so soon anyway, was to get him to write as many songs as possible and get to be covered by people. Mm. Which, in fact, extended right up to the basement tapes. When he fell off a motorbike, Grossman said, well, these guys are still contracted. Send them off to a house up in the country somewhere and let's write a whole load of songs we can sell to other people. Well, that's what I thought was one of the great... Um, really most, made Dylan. Yeah, yeah. One of the most convincing moments in No Direction Home. Is that mm. what it's called? The yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, is when they interview Artie oh, Mogul. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And Artie yeah. Mogul is the, is the corniest old tin pan yeah. alley hustler. With the greatest yeah. name. You've yeah. ever seen Which I was called Artie Mogul. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 I'd have to learn to smoke yeah. cigars and stuff. Yeah. The kind of guy you imagine would have been Tommy James and the Shondells publisher. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. yeah. And he says... I'm the guy that made Bob Dylan a huge star. Because mm. I'm the guy that Grossman played the songs to when I was a publisher. And I just got went round and got people to sing those songs. Yeah. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. The Birds he's and Trini Lopez. These guys make a career out of it. Yeah. And, you know, so it was it was through cover versions. that That's what Bob Dylan's first leg up was. Totally. That, you know, that got him to come over here and so forth. Yeah. And uh, talking to Bob Dylan venues in London, I've got to take you to this place where I... I was roped in to do to be interviewed by Newsnight about Bob Dylan not long ago. Yeah, and uh, and the venue was a little pub just behind Oxford Street, mm. where he played his first gig, uh, just around the back of where you and I used to work. Which one was it? The name of it. I've forgotten the name of it. I'll find it and I'll find it. I'll put the link on the web. And uh, as I as I got there, who was just packing up his guitar, having done his interview and leaving, Martin Carthy. Oh, oh that's perfect. perfect. The great Martin yeah. Carthy. Absolutely. Because you know, so <clears throat> he was there yeah. when Bob Dylan yeah. played that show in about 1962. You know? mm. So there's, there's a couple of these pubs. I'm sure there are millions yeah. of other people pretending to have been there as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think, to be fair, Martin he was Carthy there. Sure he was probably, there. probably was genuinely there. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Have we reached the point in the podcast where it, uh, where it is customary to... Uh, Matt, I don't look think we have. Surely. I think, so. <laughs> I think the audience don't want a hoary old rock anecdote. Yeah. Uh, it's time for the horror. The hoary old rock anecdote. Yeah. And now, we have to be careful here because, you know, Rob coming from a, a younger generation yeah, might well, easily be, be embarrassed and mortified. Should by, I cover my ears? Yes. <laughs> by what we're about to talk about. And, and no, he's a man of the world, actually. He's commented about Joe Byers earlier. In the case of this. He's lived a life, a should full I, life. Should I, not, should I not play this bit to my wife? Should it? Yeah, yes, not. Not for the wife or the star. Yes. If Rob's wife's listening, could she just look away from the screen now, please? It's one of those things that, that came up in the office the other day because somebody had sent Andrew a, 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 mm. a link to yeah. somebody speculating about this story. And there's no great punchline in there. But it is one of those tales of rock and roll lore that gets all the more astonishing as it recedes mm. in the rearview mirror. You know, mm. now Mark and I were, you know, around and you know moving about and taking <laughs> solids <laughs> <laughs> at the point in what year are we talking about, Mark? Nineteen sixty-nine or something 60, like that. It was probably sixty-nine. So Blind Faith, when Blind yeah. Faith put out their first album, and. I think I'm right in saying, Mark, that, you know, when they appeared with, with a girl on the cover who was, I don't know, 12 or 13, naked from the waist up, people thought, 
Oh, that's a bit controversial. Yeah. But there wasn't any great... There wasn't any great moral outcry. Was there I don't even remember that they thought it was that controversial, actually. I think because it was... in the days of kind of hypnosis, you may well have been responsible for that, I'm not sure. No, it wasn't. There no. was something about that that made you just put on a different hat and think that it was art. Because mm. she was colding, if you remember, a kind of weird psychedelic aeroplane. All right, I don't think anybody. Or... You see, here's yeah. here's, yeah. here's the story that goes alongside. <laughs> here's the story that's gone alongside this story. I just okay. opened the box of my own neurosis. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that woman with the Terry's all gold chocolates. Like down, that. Down. Really oh. Anyway, she is holding a a, a model of a, of a very shiny, beautiful aeroplane, a kind of jet aeroplane isn't she? And, and they had this designed first, and that's where they started. They just wanted that first of all. And then the guy who was putting together the, the project decided this ought to be held by a young girl, and she had to be young, not, not completely pre-adolescent, and not older, so he didn't want it to look like penthouse or, yeah, or yeah. whatever. And, uh, and they just wanted somebody 12, 13 or something. I can feel the room getting quiet. I know. No, no. <laughs> because what's You're saying, Well, no, but I'm just thinking what the photographer's going, yeah, she needs to be about 12 or 13. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, okay. No, but you, know. you see, what I'm going to say yeah, no, 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 before no. we go any further... We shouldn't, and we shouldn't and I, impose those Mark and I, 2007 you know, morals. So. Was a it is, that's the yeah, interesting no, point. Yeah, yeah. Because in 1969, the notion of nakedness was not a prurient thing. No, not the slightest. Mm. It, was, it was, you know, it was the cast of hair taking yeah, off yeah, their clothes yeah. Oh, yeah. in low lights. Mm. It was the devil's own job to get actors to keep their clothes on. Yeah. It was, was, it? It was, it was John and Yoko on the cover of yeah, Two, Two Virgins. Virgins. Yeah. It was, you know, they were not, none of these people were there as sex objects. You weren't supposed to feel aroused or anything like that. They no, were yeah. not airbrushed or anything like <laughs> that. And so when this girl kind of appeared, you sort of took it in that yeah, spirit. Yeah. Yeah. You certainly did in Britain. In America, it was a lot more controversial, and certainly below the Mason-Dixon line, you know, they had to repackage the thing. I still haven't got over, sorry, mentioning Yoko Ono. Because I remember seeing that Yoko, I don't want to get into too much detail yeah. here, listeners, but, yeah. but apart from members of my own family, that was the first naked girl I ever saw. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel and slightly I, I disappointed? Met, I met Yoko Ono about two years ago. I was introduced to her, I was taken to her presence, and I had to bite my lips. So I was saying, do you know, you really, really caused me a lot of problems. Because I'm sat there thinking, I can't wait to see a naked girl. I bet they're great. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and I see this picture of John Lennon on the cover. And I tell you what, David, put me off sex for a long time. I thought I'm going to carry on making airfix models. Yeah. It's a total and utter waste of yeah. time. No, I wanted to mention it to him, but I couldn't find a way to get the no, conversation. No, it's not a nice way to tell him. <laughs> you put me off sex for years. <laughs> yeah. well, Sorry, where were we? I just had to get off my chest. In the days of the internet and Billy Piper in Diary of a Call Girl or whatever it's called, mm. I don't think there are any ten year olds. For whom you know, no. they're going to have to wait until no, they're not waiting for, for the Yoko Ono. No. But anyway, I have, <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got here an account uh, by the guy who took Bob Siderman, who took the picture right. for the cover. And if you put together the details, it's an even more astonishing story. He decided he wanted a girl because he wanted the idea that the jet was a message from our world sent out to other worlds. So it was going to be launched out. And, you know, to be fair, these are hippy-dippy times. And, and, you know, people thought like that. They weren't thinking in cynical terms. No, no it's nice. It just it's like a really beautiful thought. That's thought. The way thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great yeah. idea, Dave. And so <laughs> they were trying to find yeah. a suitable girl. Have a, we have a wheeze on that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do. We're already clumsy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> little, bit, little bit more tobacco. Mrs. Ron, bring that back. So anyway, one day, he's on the tube. He's on the tube. 
<laughs> I just love this image of the swimmer just filling up with old bits. My lilac! Yeah! <laughs> my lilacs! <laughs> Somebody burnt my lilac! Can't believe it! There's Keith Richards always sound like old man's steps. Probably. I thought it was Johnny Depp. Um, <laughs> so, he gets on the tube one, he happens to be on the tube one day, yeah. and gets this girl, and I quote him from his account. She's wearing a school uniform, plaid skirt, blue blazer, white socks, and ballpoint pen drawings on her hands. She walked straight out of the Rod Stewart song. It was as though the air began to crackle with an electrostatic charge. Mm. She was buoyant and fresh as the morning air. He says, I must have looked like something out of Dickens. Somewhere between Fagin, Quasimodo, Albert Einstein, and John the Baptist. Mm. The car was full of pa- passengers. Can you imagine this, okay? Mm. This is the district line, is that what I said? I approached her... And said that I would like her to pose for a record cover for Eric Clapton's new band. Everybody in the car tensed up. <laughs> what does she say? She says, on, on the tube, she says, do I have to take off my clothes? No. Yes. My answer was, yes. <laughs> wow. I gave her my card and begged her to call. Mm-hmm. I knew I'd have to ask her parents' consent if she agreed. And it's very, very decent of it. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to feel that anybody approaching any of my daughters on the tube would. Yeah, yeah. Um, he says, when I, got to, when I got to the manager's office, I called the flat and said that if the girl called, not to let her off the phone without getting another phone number. She had called, okay? And they went round to see her and her parents. From a phone the, box around the back of the house. Oh, with the parents, okay. They were, these people were quite wealthy, lived mm. in, in Mayfair or somewhere like that, you know, posh private school mm. and all this kind of thing. And, uh, and they went in there and made the presentation to the parents. Can you imagine? Mm. Can you imagine doing this? They said, yes, we'd like to take your clothes off. Anyway, the girl in the, in the tube <laughs> train said, no, I won't do it, I'm a bit shy. Fair enough. But I tell you what, her younger yes. sister. Are there any more like you at home, dear? <laughs> yes. Yeah. My even younger sister. <laughs> younger sister yeah. wanted to do it. Was just kind of you can imagine kind of attention getting twelve year old or something. Oh yeah, I'll do it or whatever. Well, you can't imagine it. <laughs> no, but, but you know you but, can't. Uh, but she uh, says she was glorious sunshine, Botticelli's angel, the picture of innocence, face which in a brief time could launch a thousand spaceships. We asked her what her fee would be for modelling, and she said, a young horse. (laughs) And Stigwood, the manager, bought her a young horse. Wow. He called the picture Blind Faith. Yeah. And that's where the group got the name from, which I never knew. Wow. Oh, no, I didn't didn't know that either. Um, Okay. And it's just astonishing when you think about it. But coming further up to date, Mm. obviously that's an extreme example from a long, long time ago. So, what I was thinking, how long ago is it since U2's first album came out? Boy. About, nine, was it, actually, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, So, it's 25, 26, 26 27 years. Yeah. Now, I want you to yeah. imagine Universal's hot new signing in, in you know, the year 2007. Mm. Goes to the record company and says, yeah, we've finished the album. Here yeah. we are, we're thrilled with it. And here's the cover. Yeah. It's a naked nine-year-old boy. Yeah. Can you imagine what short shrift... They would get. Yeah. They say, "Are you out of An your invisible mind?" Quantitative shrift. And, yeah. But the point is this: that back then, when you looked at the Blind Faith cover, nobody thought anything prurient at all. Mm. Twenty years later, or whatever, when you looked at the U two cover, nobody thought anything. No, prurient it wasn't. No, at all. no. You know, but there's now 
we got ourselves in such a space. But they are, about but it. they are very different images. Yes, I agree. I mean, there's a there's a vast difference between the blind faith here. This is the art section of the podcast. There is a vast difference uh, in the pli- of the in the blind faith cover and in the cover of Boy. I agree with that, but my point still holds. Mm, yeah, yeah. If you yeah. if you said to Sony Records, put out a first album yeah. and it's got a naked nine year old boy on the yeah. cover, who's very good looking, they'd say. You simply can't do that. You'll be dragged through the streets yeah. on a hurdle by everybody from the Daily Mail to the Guardian to Newsnight. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the world, for most people, has not changed no. at all in that time. It's just that everybody's got themselves in a complete. You know, state. you know who did it in in a very prurient way. In fact, apparently, it was against. It was forced on them by their record company. Was the great band? I know Mark's favorite band, uh, the Scorpions. Oh God, well, that's appalling! What's that one? Virgin called? Killer. Oh, oh God, God, that yeah. really is no. unbelievable. The oh, oh chewing yeah. gum is that the one I'm thinking? No, of? no, 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 no that's Virgin uh, Killer, Mark. Virgin don't, Killer, very don't bad. Look at it. It's oh, I've seen it. Don't, yeah. yeah. We go, you wrote a piece in Word magazine about. Uh, I can't remember what the headline was now. They wouldn't let it happen nowadays. Yeah, something yeah. like and that. And we decided not to run that. Yes, it's tiny. Yeah, it was just too much for us. It's fashioned like a piece of porn. Yeah, it's astonishing. Couldn't be taken in any. No, way. but I'm still astonished that the, the, the blind-faced girl's parents, having gone through the whole meal about will yeah, they yeah, yeah, do yeah. this, and said, "Well, what about the ten-year-old?" Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. <don't. laughs> no, yeah. She's like, "It's the parents." I'm astonished yeah, yeah, about. Yeah. I think, from what I can gather, she's called Mopsy or something like that. That was her name, whether nickname or no. And presumably, this woman is now in her fifties. Yeah, she would have been what, yeah. 12, 13, uh, year old, thirty-eight, and you know, I'm amazed. Yeah, I'm amazed nobody's found her. I don't think she wants to be found. She probably she could be hiding though. If you're out there, she's pushing. Where she's been for the last, I don't know, yeah. thirty-two years. She might be still riding yeah. that now quite old horse. Yeah, right. So if anybody knows where she is, you know, we'd, uh, and she wants to get in touch, <laughs> yes. not topless this time. To hear from her. Yeah. We'd love to hear that story. We would. We would. Uh, and that's about it from the podcast for this week. Before we expire from the heat in this room, it is warm in here, isn't it? It's pretty warm. <laughs> Even the tropical plants are starting to wilt. <laughs> it's just like being on a veranda. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah we need is being sex. Yeah. And the, uh, the punker waller. Yeah. Yeah. Iced tea. Fanning. Iced tea, obviously. Yeah. Have, a sun, tea. have a sundowner. A sundowner. Sun that would be nice. Pink gin. Oh, Pink gin and a gasper. I think a whole lot of Maybe a hammock. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Will those drums never stop? <laughs> <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.